Hello and welcome to Keyframes in Betweens, a mini podcast about anime. I'm your host, Finn Halliburton, and with me today is Duncan. Hey there. And Jeff. Yellow. Well, we got your emails, we got your letters, we got your singing telegrams, and we are going to be continuing our Utena rewatch. This episode is going to be covering the second arc, the Black Rose Saga, which goes from episodes 14 to 24, uh, and deals with some heavy shit. I think I said before that this is where I realized that this wasn't kind of a shoujo battler anime and actually it was doing something a lot more than that. Uh, and hopefully y'all like it too, because this is one of my favorite, like, arcs, my favorite cores of anime. And I have, I have big, big feelings that are definitely not written up in a 2000 word, uh, word document that I have open in front of me right now. <laughs> but yeah, so I figured we'd go ahead and do a quick rundown of just the, the bird's eye view plot. Uh, and then we'll talk about themes and characters because this is a very character driven arc. I think y'all would agree. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll go into more uh, visual and audio intangibles and then maybe into just nice stuff we liked carrying on that tradition from the Monogatari series tweens. Sound good? Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's all good. Awesome. So, um, the state of affairs at the beginning of the arc is that Utena has defeated all of the student council. She defeated Toga so bad that he is just in a room uh, for the entire uh, <laughs> core, and uh, Sayanji has been expelled. And she begins to be challenged by these the succession of supporting characters uh, wearing a black rose on their chest and bearing a black version of the rose signet ring that gives you entrance into the duel arena that allows you to uh, duel eternity something stuff. Uh, and so, yeah, she fights a lot of people. These people are being kind of seduced and programmed by a mysterious, also pink-haired individual named uh, Soji Mikage, who lives under Nemimo Memorial Hall, a place where there has been, a long time ago, time immemorial, there was a mysterious fire that killed a hundred students, uh, and he is now using the corpses of those students to make these people into false duelists with the attempt to defeat Utena kill Anthe and replace uh, Anthe with Mamiya, his own little, his own thing there. Uh, and at the end of the arc, uh, as he is sent to the last extremity, having run out of all, every person on campus with a grievance uh, against the way things are versus the ways they used to be, um, he fights Uten himself, and it's revealed that he is in fact the professor who was working in that building before it burned down, and that he is doing this out of manipulation from Akio, the school's acting headmaster, and a misguided attempt to salve a relationship that he had with a, a woman who left the academy long, long ago. I did a shit job of summarizing that, but I think that's just because the it's not really about what happens in these episodes, uh, really. Yeah, it's about the, the notes they don't play. It's about the friends we fought all along. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, so I'm going to go ahead and like shoot my wad out really early here because I don't want to have to wait. 
uh, it, that I think that the first arc has this idea of revolution. These, these are two competing ideas of revolution between the first arc and the second arc. And the first arc revolution is this ideal, idealism and specialness that each of these characters have firmly established beliefs, even jury's extreme cynicism of like miracles don't exist. You just have to fight for what you want. Um, and sometimes you can't get it. Even that is sort of a, a very principled, very discreet idea. Um, and there's the idea that the revolution will nonetheless be transformative. Well, I think that the second arc is much more conservative. All the Black Rose duelists are supporting characters who've been sidelined in their own lives. Um, and they seek to kill Anthe more or less validly to restore their past happiness um, before the intrusion of all this student council bullshit. Uh, and we see this actually because they like they take their swords each from a main character from the previous arc. Uh, everyone, we see the kind of the sword being passed, uh, and that this these conservative revolutions, these nostalgic uh, revolutions, desires to restore things to the way that they used to be, um, happen against the background of like deviant intimacy. There are a lot of brother sister pairs, or functionally brother sister pairs, or characters usurping or abandoning familial roles so there's this definite sense of of wrongness and like normative disjunction in the world of uh the black rose saga um yes all these things that um are trying to be repaired by the panacea of killing anthe and taking control of the world to restore it to the state of one's own memories of that world and I've, <laughs> I don't know, uh, like, what, what did y'all react to in, in this arc? Like, what, what duels spoke to you? What characters spoke to you? So, like, maybe it's a similar tack to what Ben thinks here, is that I kind of saw this as, like, the, the Black Rose Society as just society was the, the, the big <laughs> metaphor you're going, because, like, everything... Uh, before was about as as Ben suggests, like individualism. Each each one of the student council was in their way um, exceptional, and each one mm -hmm. of these has been is someone who's been overshadowed and is then is 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 in one case in particular who gets two episodes um, is is normal. Poor, poor Wakaba. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wakaba is very much a normal, and instead forcing themselves into a particular role because an ulti a, because a society dictates this is what they have to do to be happy it's assuming a, a role which you're you're told will make you happy even though it's clearly not going to and like and even when in one particular case it's it's someone is rejected from that society precisely because his he actually has like this weirdly i don't know if it's pure love what what okay so part of oh we're gonna go right into this okay, yeah, yeah so let's just go into this so every okay. every time i'm uh one of the a new black rose duelist is created um uh, Mikhail, it's so, a character it's a character who's hit rock bottom and goes to the seminar to kind of decompress their feelings and they become the, like the manifestation of their most like selfish aggressive feelings about their situation mm -hmm. i think yeah mm -hmm. right. that's, a, that's a good summary but every time um, they go there uh, they they'll talk to him and they'll go they'll go down an, in an, an elevator into this the basement uh, slash crematorium of this this yes. building oh, where I love the art in this anime. where 
at every as they slowly he tell um uh I can't remember his first name Maka Maka Makage 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 slash Nemero. So, okay, where, where, where they tell we'll this, that this, <laughs> this figure, uh, as Ben says, tell them their troubles, and as these, they slowly are told to go deeper and deeper into the f- fundamental seed of their um, their emotional issues, and like while there's a Im- these images of a butterfly slowly reverting to pupa on the walls or flashing yes. at intervals, and each time there's it's it's basically the end of that is him saying okay this is where your feelings emotions have have took you we've prefer- we have prepared the road you must take yes now you will take it i, lo- I love that phrase too the way the the path you must take has been prepared for you yeah mm-hmm. and every character apart from one they take it and that mm-hmm. one character doesn't and so what do we what do we imply from his rejection cuz he it's oh, not I'm, he doesn't I'm take it to, yeah i've it's got some, not I've got he doesn't like take vomit it. like white hot acid all over you <laughs> Duncan, i'm so sorry so so um but can, can i can i take a stab at it first no no please yeah go ahead jeff <laughs> so i thought like i'll uh, take seconds yeah the like the what I mostly got out of the side characters uh, sessions at the Black Rose Circle was that all of them had either because they, they 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 sort of imply that there are some people in the world who are just special all the time and everybody else just gets to be special for a little while and all of these people feel like they have sort of like passed their prime and they want to go back to that moment like Ben was saying and this uh, this boy. Uh, the Youngin Prince. I can't remember what his actual name was. Uh, he was um, like a like a, a child- Kazami. Uh, he was like a childhood crush of uh, of Wakaba, who then you know reveals that he's come back because he still loves her, and then you know she doesn't love him back, and that's what drives him to the uh, to the Black Rose Circle. Uh, but in his confession, like what set him apart from the others was that he had a willingness to accept the way things were for Wakaba's sake. Mm -hmm. Whereas everybody else was willing to revert all the way back to their most like atavistic state to make them to to, destroy people in the process too. Yeah. Yeah. And which made them, uh, suitable to become a black rose duelist uh like having any room in your heart for accepting the way things were would not allow them to be changed and that's why it says like you know this isn't going to work because you're too good of a person so like like the show is making a you know a sort of directorial choice to decide that like an insistence on having things your way is inherently an evil uh an evil impulse that uh, that makes you lesser, and if you are too good of a person, you simply cannot be a black rose duelist. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even call it an evil impulse. I mean, I I would argue that it's not necessarily an evil impulse. It's just the recognition that, like, you. So, so for me, the question of the black rose duelists is answered in the two episodes we get about Mikage slash Nemero himself. We see that his experience uh in his original life before he became kind of a a ghost time zombie whatever he yeah. <laughs> whatever he is existing yeah. unchanging eternally um 
is that he had no passion. He found this passion for a woman. Um, and then to preserve it, to make it eternal, he killed a hundred people in a fire. Uh, and that that is the prototype for, for what every black rose duelist has to do for the rose to be able to take root in their heart Mm -hmm. is, is that they have to be willing to burn down the fucking dorm room, uh, to get what they want. And, Mikage, at least, is even more delusional where he does not even recognize that there is a difference between where he is now and what his memories recall. He he calls Utena to, uh, Tokiko. Um, he has this delusional, uh, his own, like, mini-me, Anthi, who, who is Mamiya, who's, who he's trying to, like, make the Rose Bride, even though she's already the Rose Bride, because this is the kind of Ikuhara shit that yeah, we're Yeah, we're going to have to get so back have, to that. <laughs> yes. Uh, I will not be able... The, the road that you must take has not been prepared for you there, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I, but there is this interesting thing of, like, fundamentally, all of the Black Rose duelists have to be willing to burn it all down, and, and who cares who gets, who gets in the way? Um, and this is kind of, in a bit of a comedic touch, uh, is like... Utena's increasing bafflement at the people fighting her and why they're fighting her. Like I, I, lo- I love yeah. when she's like when she's fighting uh, Nanami's little hanger-on boy, Suabuki's like she's like, "What do you like? Why do you want to kill Anthe?" And he's like, "You got to kill an adult to be an adult." And she, she's like, uh, "Okay." Uh, so so eventually, like, because we we are very used to the first arc has pe- set us up to like understand these very principled, reasoned justifications for fighting and every single person who's fighting um in the black rose saga is fighting delusionally they like killing Anthe will not get them what they want um either either on like a broader cosmic level or literally it will do nothing to, to get them what they want uh and so this this sort of rage and futility and destructiveness and the willingness to like roll back other people's lives, other people's development, just to restore yourself to a past that may not even exist, uh, is I think really striking there. Um, and in some cases, like like with Kozue, Kozue's duel, the the sister to to Mickey, uh, where they used to be very close as children and they've drifted apart, and she fucks around with like bad dudes because she knows it gets Mickey's attention. And now she's begun to realize that he's not even really paying that much attention to her when she does that, because he's gotten close to other people. Like she could just stop, stop. <laughs> she could stop <laughs> doing what she's doing. Uh, and she, and, she, but it's, it's a refusal to, to recognize things as they are that, that motivate all of the, the black rose duelists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that that really does tie into, in the end, how so much of this arc is illusory, imaginary people, people who have who are being misidentified as the as the wrong names. The fact that at the very end we discover that Mamiya, this figure, this semi real figure who's been motivating all of Mikage's actions, uh, is actually just Anthe in disguise, and that that Mikage has been this puppet of Akio to drive Utena closer to him and to Anthe while distancing her from all the incidental relationships that she's acquired in this episode so far. She has to fight her own best friend while Anthe begs her to kill her. <laughs> uh, the one time that Anthe really like shows this really overt desire is to like, is like draw the sword fucking fucking murk her uh, when, when she's fighting uh, Wakaba and uh, Utena refuses. She ref- only uses uh, Wakaba's own sword 
to to do that sort of thing. I don't know. I I th- this this arc is so rich that I just every time I I sink my teeth into it, I get new juice, and so I can just. <laughs> We're going to have to fight not to have this be a two and a half hour podcast. <laughs> and I will do my best to fight alongside you, but I may be a traitor. So just warning you. <laughs> any, any thought before I forget about it, any thoughts on the symbolism of that? What, once again, that like, I, I guess um, that's the sort of thing my brain goes after, but the, the, the fact that not, not that Wakaba is um, defeated without Utina using Anthe's sword, which is significant in itself, but that mm-hmm. she's defeated using her, own sword like like both of those things have have weight as as images is and symbols to me at least well i would actually connect that to so most of the black rose duelists i think all basically come to some sense of acceptance when they're defeated by utina but um wakaba doesn't she everyone else like kozue comes comes into a like a more a more comfortable relationship with her with her brother. Uh Swabuki is now like both more open in his like friendship with Nanami while also spending time with people his own age. Wakaba goes home to an empty dorm room where Sayonji is not there because she was fighting because she believes that if Anthi were killed, Sayonji would his feelings would revert to her. Uh and she comes home to an empty room and she says you know, Okari, like mm-hmm. to nobody. I'm back uh, to nobody, and it's 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 the bleakest episode of the of the arc it, to me. And this includes you know an arc where a hundred young men are burned alive <laughs> in a building just because like she doesn't she she is self defeated. Her problem is that her problems are self made. Like she's in love with the wrong guy, and I think that a lot of how the sh- the arc frames people's nostalgia for the past and their conservative impulses, not in the political sense, but just in the ideological, personal sense, uh, frames it as being in love with the wrong person. Because a lot of people are in almost all the Black Rose duelists are in love with someone they shouldn't be in love with. And the show even makes fun of that in the Kazumi episode, the Onion Prince episode, where where the student council's all like, haha, I don't know, jury's like, haha, you're both in love with the wrong person. And they're like, yeah, you are too. And yeah, she's and like, Jerry's is like, you guys would both be very much happier if you could just stop loving the wrong person. They both give her these, like, dagger eyes. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, I would be on the same boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there is this, like, idea of, like, misplaced love is misplaced fate. And again, I think that that finds its culmination in the character of, of Mikage in his, in his past, where... Um, he literally invents a new person he's actually in love with because he can't because the uh, Tokiko, the woman that he was in love with, who rejected him in the academy and left, uh, like he can't have her anymore. And then once Utena appears and starts working her way up the duelist chart again, like he literally loses. Like every woman is Tokiko. Every woman is Tokiko. It's very I don't know. It's very rich, very flavorful. <laughs> mm. Like I. The, the the Tokyo uh, Tokiko thing Tokiko time time girl as yeah, opposed to Nanami's three <laughs> as opposed to Nanami's three hangers on competition girl play girl and love girl so I was sort of like because casual casuality has gone out of the window in episode twenty three like what the hell is going on obviously so 
at this point we know Makaji uh, is could be any age, frankly. Um, yeah. He could. I mean, be. he's he's eighteen, but also he's every age. Mm-hmm. And so. uh, I suppose we get an, an idea because we do. Well, well, we see we get introduced to an adult version of of her as well. And yeah, our assumption is we're seeing that in the quote unquote present where where Utena and everyone else are still exist. Uh, going about their daily business but with the way that that episode has started to mesh, mess around with casualty I don't think that's necessarily true well All they we do talk. when she comes in she mentions to Akiko that, <laughs> do it Jeff get him uh, that's like oh you like you know everybody who stays here doesn't age like there's no like, get him going come on come on yeah and like, you know it's like you know it's not fair that you guys get to stay the same age the whole time and then there's definitely a sense that there's something going on at otori like there's it's specific to that location that something happens and that's why like weird magical bullshit also happens like it's something to do mm-hmm. with eternity mm-hmm. and the egg of the world being in that location that you know it, it yeah no i agree because it's because what we have is in the in uh episode 23 the final like non-recap episode we have mamia talking about like just basically has a speech about like do you realize how long eternity is it's so it's so long that time ceases to have any meaning like e- uh, like year upon year decade upon decade century upon century eon upon eon mm-hmm. um and this idea that like it, and this is the part where you can get lost in it because it doesn't it like the mechanics of that don't matter i do not i personally do not think that ikuhara like actually has an idea of like literally how time has been altered in in a uh, otori academy but i think that when in episode 22 when you have the flashback we were talking before about the flashing hands um where in this arc especially ikuhara becomes a lot more open about like here's something weird i'm doing we get like random Flo- fl- like spinning flower rosettes in certain scenes mm-hmm. uh, that kind of communicate both emotions and kind of like the idealized moments. And I think the flashing hands are pointing <laughs> out incongruities. And so we have like pointing to the rose tea, uh, which if you like flower language, this anime is for you. Rose tea means I will always remember. Um, and that he, there's a hand pointing at the, uh, the butterfly unmaking itself. It's pointing at, one cat and then two cats. Then the two cats have a kitten out on the window. Um, it's point. So there already is this, this hint that like time is not flowing right. And it's not, we shouldn't think of things in terms of this happened so that this could happen, but in terms of circumstances that pervade different characters and cause them to react differently. And I know that that is deeply unsatisfying to people with nerdy brains, <laughs> but I think that there is this kind of like this time awashness where, mm-hmm. where we exist contemporaneously with the emotional and physical factors that caused us to be who we are today. And I think that's, that's kind of a, an activated metaphor for how emotions, emotions and memories continue to define us even after the things that have created them are passed. As a directorial solution, those flashing hands, do you, did you read them like I did as a petulant, like bandaid solution to Ikuhara being frustrated that nobody caught on to these little things happening in the background no because like having like a great big hand uh, with a great big like, beep 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 
beep do you get it it's there you fucking idiot no no i <laughs> I, I think that, i think that i think that the beeping is very coy especially how uh, and this is a bit stealing from the Foley thing. How, like, when you're further away, the beeping is quieter. So it's like the beeping is actually coming from the hand. Yeah, it's like uh, I love beeping. that touch. But uh, but we we have the hand has already been thoroughly established because where else have we seen the hands? Is when you enter the Nemimore Memorial Hall, mm-hmm. um, and there's just like a line of like hundreds of chairs, each with a sign that has a hand pointing um, at the door that says "in use" that closes itself before every interview. And I believe that this is, I think that one of Ikuhara's stylistic choices that he's often very fond with is to establish something diegetically and then have it spill over into like the meta framing of, of an episode. And I think the idea that he's established the hands over a half dozen episodes. And now we have an episode where the hands are just, they're now free and they're now pointing at everything. Like every, every piece of deprogramming uh, that's happening for this character is being pointed out with a hand, not just, the hands pointing to the interview booth uh, slash mm. elevator slash crematorium. That is definitely a more satisfying take on those. Mm. Uh, this is my fourth time watching this. <laughs> I, I love this fucking show so much. I, I really, I have like every single character written up. I think it's amazing that we have Wakaba and we're like, okay, so we don't, we have the most normal girl in the world mm-hmm. and she gets two whole episodes because she's Utina's friend. And honestly, I think Duncan was right to point out like Wakaba's psychology is incredibly like real and sympathetic and, and there's nothing crueler in, in the show than like having Sayanji pin this hand carved uh, wooden trinket on her. And she, she weeps with happiness that this is exactly what she wants. And we know it's not going to last because a Sayanji's an asshole and B <laughs> there's a man who's literally named the devil Akio yeah. working against them. Um, but, but then, but then from that, we, we go into, uh, to Keiko, one of the, the three hangers on and we get an even more like bed shittingly depressing vision of like, Oh, your best friend is the sister of your crush and she will devote her, all of her life and all of her skills to keeping you from ever getting with him. Um, but if you stop being friends with her you won't be any closer to getting with him. You're just stuck. You love the wrong person. Sucks to be you. Mm-hmm. To an extent that's even more, I think, like bleak than Wakaba's crush on Sayanji. Uh, because the problem with Wakaba's crush on Sayanji is Sayanji is unworthy of her love. But the problem uh, with Keiko's crush on Toga is that like there are systems in place that they can never be together. And not in a Romeo and Juliet way. Just in like, oh... It's not going to work out way. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is definitely uh, like there's a there's a class issue here. Like some people are like yes. supporting <laughs> characters and some people Marxist. are main characters. And even though Seanji is like the wackest god on Olympus, he's still a god of, on Olympus <laughs> and being tangled up with him is going to hurt Wakaba. Similarly, uh, Utna is also, you know, one of these main characters and just being around uh, Utna is alienating Wakaba from herself like and there's a scene where Utena is like she's puzzling over like you know why the hell is this going on and Akio tells her that you know the reason that you don't like you can't empathize with these people is because you simply do not have a life like theirs like you are in the middle of one of the most important things ever your entire life and it's never going to stop but for these other people 
that ended a long time ago. Like they got their time in the sun and it's never going to come back and they're just going to have a normal life. And that is, I believe intended to drive Utena away from the normal people and closer to Akio because, you know, mm-hmm. as we find out, I mean, maybe this is a spoiler for a big reveal that you guys want to talk about later, but Akio is ultimately behind both the uh, the Rose Duelists on the Student Council and the Black Rose Deci- uh, Circle, and that the Rose Garnet Ring is indicative of a contract with Akio, uh, which I should probably assume also carries over to Utena's ring. Uh, yeah, which she was granted by, I believe the uh, the the king or the prince who lives in the castle above the dueling arena, and so yeah. she is she is as much a part of his of Akio's well, uh, <laughs> plot as everybody else, and so like he's not trying to help her; he's trying to make get her closer to him, which I'm assuming in the third arc is going to blow up in his face. Oh, no. I know. The, I know the memes of the. Well, well, it's worth it's worth pointing out. We said this before that like Akio is literally uh, a contraction of the Japanese uh, name for Venus, the Morning Star, mm-hmm. Lucifer. Like yeah. he, the fact that he and, like he like there, like reclines in his room and stares at the heavens nostalgically is yeah. like an interesting little character yeah. foible. It's a very good touch. But no, there's there is a kind of we have already gotten a sense in the recap to the first core of that there's a split between Dios, who is kind of the super ego, mm-hmm. and Akio, the id, um, and that these characters have an interaction. I think that we this arc is largely about building the presence and menace of Akio for the next arc. Yeah. Um, but it also, I mean, it has it has it has some standalone good shit. Too. Mm-hmm. But there is this idea that when Mikage is trying to recruit Utena to the his seminar, like he references, like you've got something in your past that's really important, right? And Utena's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and he's like, No, no, you do, you do. You've got like, like he might as well be pointing at that ring, like you've got something way in your past uh, that you've been trying to, to achieve, but Utena, whether by being pure or just being thick (laughs) and not in the two C's way, just the, the CK way is, is like rejects that and Uh, rejects Mikage's like poisonous nostalgia. Bless, bless poor oblivious Utena who, 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 (laughs) like the reveal of, of, of her realizing what's going on with Mikage and the, 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 the Black Rose Duelist is her literally doing like calisthenics in front of a, a, a wall of their portraits in their drooling gear inside yeah. his house. <laughs> <It's> like, Wait <laughs> a minute! <laughs> and then she turns and there's there's a picture of her and she's like, "Wait a second. <laughs> uh, so real quick before we move on from like, I really liked your comment about like this is mortals realizing that they're among gods. Mm-hmm. Um, so. At least my favorite episode from the previous arc was the jury episode. Um, and in this one, there's also a jury episode where Shiori, another pillar of the love triangle and object of jury's lusts, uh, becomes a black rose duelist because she discovers that she thought that jury was better than her all this time. But in fact, jury had this puppy dog crush on her that has that has been like the defining feature of her adolescence. Um, and how do you think that that like how did you react to to that episode in specific and 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 what do you think like that complicates the idea that like 
normal people can't touch the special people because we have this character who is specifically like the best fighter in the student council. She's her weak point. Uh, and, and she is her like undoing. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the bad Utena fan because like I have <laughs> so little feelings about jury. Like, I don't know why, but like, I'm more interested by Nanami than jury. Like that's, <laughs> I don't know oh, why. Those like are, those are fighting words. <laughs> like I, maybe it's just that it's too on the nose and I, I just, I don't know. Like I just, I just find everybody else so much no. more interesting than jury. And like, I, I'm very welcome. I'm very open to you guys proving me wrong. Okay, so well, go ahead, Duncan. Yeah. So the first thing <laughs> is like, um, I think I mentioned like what my entire thing is that how good you are at fighting doesn't matter in this 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 show, and yeah. so saying that Jury is the the best fighter amongst all of them and that she's it's meaningless. <laughs> yeah, it is because the winner is still decided by quote unquote fate uh, mm-hmm. before the, the the fight even starts, and so. Her weakness being that she loves the wrong person is... More so than most people, <laughs> I feel like. Is that... I don't know. It's, I don't think that it necessarily invalidates what was interesting. Because, like, what did we think of her in, in the first one? We thought of her as, like, this interesting example of... Well, she was kind of an <laughs> iconoclast. Her, her, arc like... was, her episode was all about, like, yeah, it was an iconoclast miracles don't exist there's only what you do yourself mm-hmm. i uh, i guess like if we're going full metaphorical we can say that at if these iconoclasts are all meant to represent philosophies she's a philosopher who is reacting uh towards an event in her past as opposed to a philosopher who is um creating their own visions from their whatever i don't know but well i think i think it is interesting that like when jury talks about shiori she talks about herself being over shiori which is interesting because she has a picture of her in a locket that she always keeps at the point that people are like oh hey it's your locket mm-hmm. so there is this interesting idea that jury does not see herself as as freighted by these past traumas um but obviously she is. Obviously she still has feelings for for Shiori. Just like when Shiori first comes back and she's on the second level of the gym watching Jury fight and she like gets her attention and Jury just like does the most like hmm sort of thing. Like there is this idea that uh that Jury is falling short of her own ideal of herself. Like too. I just have a horrible thought. Like th- this is essentially the equivalent of 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 the the, the disproving argument of of why you cannot have um, objective game reviews. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's like I shouldn't have scoffed immediately when I heard that. I just heard game reviews, and I immediately like like, the, like that that whole fuss which blew up a couple of years ago was like, eh, is that anyone? Sick. Six who years is, ago now, Duncan. Is there anyone who is <laughs> truly objective about anything? And when you're as iconoclastic as as jury, you're perhaps putting yourself in a position where you're saying, I, I want to be this. I want to be pure and above my own feelings. I want to surpass my own feelings. And what this is saying is, no, you may have 
compartmentalize those feelings, put them away in a little locket, but they're still there. Yeah, I think I said in the first Utna tween that... Uh jury sort of struck me that at, with like sort of like new atheist energy where you know somebody like <laughs> yeah like, yep. they, like they replaced stop their it, faith you're ruining, you're ruining my anime stop it video <laughs> game reviews and atheism stop it but like like the way that she's like she replaces her faith in god with her faith in the lack of god uh she you know and then you know twists the world to fit that understanding you know similarly she she convinces herself that she's over her crush and then you know, and then you know, and then just justifies all of the obvious signs that she's not away, in a way that just still continues to flatter her own understanding of herself. Hmm. See, I feel like I have a I have a kind of mere interpretation of like. So the first, so the previous two duels we have in episode fourteen, we have uh, Kanai. Uh, Akio's fiance slash sister, because Akio's also been adopted into the family of the daughter she's he's going to marry yeah because yes. he's yeah. A, his, his, his last name's otori and her last name's otori they're already he's like i don't know i don't know if that's like normal in japanese family structures people who know please write in uh, uh, from from the like documentary Domekano, i think people getting together who are <laughs> step siblings is completely fine right right duncan <laughs> okay good good uh, so we have we have we have kane who is who is just Jealous of Anthe as like the closer sibling of Akio, and she feels threatened by her, which is something that I'm getting like watching this, even though like I have big problems with Penguin Drum, specifically Kanai has has very strong Penguin Drum energy, too. Um, and uh, I might rewatch that sometime. Listen on the main podcast if I if I do. Uh, and then we have Kozue, who 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 has made this decision who has spent her life, her adult life antagonizing her brother so that she can get his attention is now realizing that that strategy is dying out. And so jury is the third duel that we have with Shiori over jury. And this is kind of a no fault thing. There's this whole thing where they have, where like the rose doesn't mean you to prick it, to prick you with its thorns. And I think that that's kind of the love triangle that, um, jury and, uh, and Shiori are in with, we haven't met him formally yet but ruka will eventually come back the the other vertices of the of the love triangle uh but this idea that like innocence can be cruel and cruelty can be innocent um and i think that that's really one of the more shocking i I don't remember this at all but it was it was probably the the most surprising image and maybe if we want we can use this to segue into images or we can argue about characterization for another 30 minutes uh is uh when they're talking and then just like a bird smacks into the window and while they're talking there's just cuts of it of it slowly dying um as as it recovers from that and then that bird is the image of their duel and this idea that like the window didn't mean to kill the bird and that the bad feelings between these two characters aren't anyone's fault. It's just, it's just the way things are. It's just like literally someone who didn't even think of you had set this up this way. And the fact that, that jury loves Shiori, Shiori's always felt inferior to jury and has basically spent her entire life trying to, trying to get one up on jury. And then realizing that without her knowledge, she has something up on jury. Jury is madly in love with her and has been for most of her adult life. And, that 
at least with this duel, like it kind of clears the air between them where they're able to interact normally without it being like tawdry or or messy in any way. Um, this idea that that someone doesn't need to try to hurt you to hurt you. And I think that's important because I think there's very it's very easy to impart malice just because of how the the Black Rose duelists come out of these interviews. They're really fucking angry, uh, <laughs> uh, mostly at Utna for reasons that Utna is about like the number of times that Utna says, I want to have like a drinking game where every time Utna's like, I don't I don't understand what's going on. Why are you doing this? Take a shot. Yeah. Uh, but but like, yeah, so the idea that these characters come out angry and it's not like someone did this to them. It's just part of it's society. It's what's Duncan said society. I've repeated a point that Duncan made three minutes ago. Are we going to, if uh, we're going <laughs> to, this, this might, may be a good point to transition to, um, the visual images. Cause like the one reason I, I, uh, Jeff brought up a word, which might actually be, be in some ways just as useful, which is class. Um, and <laughs> let's talk about this dueling arena this season. Um, and specifically, it's addition oh, that kind of, of class. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> but both. Um, and specifically, yeah. it's addition of row upon row of desks of classroom desks. Each a hundred desks with a hundred body outlines on the floor yeah. beneath them, each with a uh, identical representation of something important to the duelist placed upon them. And which... I believe that the, the the image is like the tipping point, though it's mm-hmm. it's the thing that was the tipping point for them that made them seek out the seminar. Is my opinion? Yeah, I think that's yeah, probably. 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 Thanks, Duncan. <laughs> <Yeah>. I just <laughs> can't remember all the... What, whatever. I whatever. Can't, can't remember what, what's on all of them. So it's, it's like going through... Yep, uh, yep, yep. There's Bottom? a chocolate yep. bar. There's a hairpin. There's a bird. There's a bird. Bird. There's an umbrella. <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's very interesting that the, the duels are structured over just like literally a graveyard of people. It's really... The show has a way of shoving the hundred dead young men into you, and like the way that it flashes up the hundred men all turning around and looking at you is like one of their favorite shots for this arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of them in their school uniform. I think like that. Like we should, should say the other thing is that the the other thing about the dueling ground is that it's full of body outlines, mm. as Ben yes, said, that's of, what I'm saying. of of the hundred um, dead students on the floor in various different poses, and each time. Uh, Julius is uh, defeated. They fall onto the pose, and there's something very satisfying about about that. That's in a, oh, I in think it's, I think it's so macabre for me. It's it's so it's like their death is preordained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. like like a hun- people have died a hundred different ways, and you're going to die one of those ways too. Mm. It's I yeah. Yeah, because like uh, at first I wasn't clear if those outlines were created by the duels or if the the duels were created by the outlines effectively, but they do show multiple times that people fall onto a pre-existing outline in the exact pose of the, of the outline. And yeah, it definitely gives you a sense that, you know, in the same way that they're talking about eternity, you know, all of this is, you know, preordained. And so like, what is eternity if fate is already sealed? Yeah. There's yeah. only one character who doesn't fall on the outline, which is Wakaba, who Utena holds up right after she Aww. has slashed her. I didn't rose. catch that. Thanks, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, that's it, it's, it's, it's lovely because, like, there's this, this, she slashes the rose, but she's holding on to Wakaba's hand as, as she does it, and they both sort of like fall back. 
and like it's it's just like everyone else else just collapses and falls unconscious but with Wakaba Utana catches her and you just see a, a tear in Wakaba's eyes as like she comes to this realisation and yeah it's, it's kind of, as you say she's got the saddest she was she's saved but yet she has the saddest because she's not oblivious of this she's he's in her home just on her, her own and aware of her, her loneliness and mm-hmm. all the others seem to I I the way I interpreted it was all the others completely forget the events of yeah that's what that's what it seems like yeah uh, surrounding after after they're stabbed with the black rose whereas I, the interpretation I have is Wakaba remembers it all and maybe that's only because she doesn't fall to the ground and is saved. I I, I wish I had a better word that's a, than that's saved. A cool, that's a cool theory. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you said it. Yeah. I don't I don't know if I agree with it, but I'm glad you said it. I think that I think the, the, at the ver- at the at the very least, the things that made Wakaba go to the seminar are not different in the way that they are for other characters. Like she's she still feels alone and like. She can't have the life she wants because she's not special in some intangible way that she couldn't get, even though she tried hard. We had that montage of her like talking in class and giving a presentation at what looked like a company meeting and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Doing that, backhands yeah. in tennis. Yes. Yeah. All all the signs of success in school. Succeeding at sports, giving a good presentation, answering in class. Yeah, yeah. There's also mm-hmm. another interesting aspect of the Wakaba duel is that it's the only duel that Utna refuses to play her role, much to Anthe's mm-hmm. consternation. Because, and you know, you you have to wonder, you know, was this you know something special about Wakaba, or was this you know Utna not you know was it was it her not playing her normal role of like pulling out the sword and doing the duel, but rather you know trying to just stop the duel from happening at all. If that is like, mm-hmm. if that's foreshadowing, you know, he asked leadingly because the other two people in the room already know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, the answer is complicated. <laughs> I mean, I've watched this so long ago that I, my memories of the answer are extremely vague, Jeff. So don't, <laughs> don't consider me to have that advantage because I don't. And I protested it. before that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember like, like, I think a lot of, like, the the third arc is very confusing. If you thought that episodes 22 and 23 were like, whoa, so what's going on? Like, s- strap in, buddy. <laughs> we're in bat country. But let's just quickly, while we're on um, episode 23 and uh, uh, the weird time stuff and the visual elements surrounding that, like the superimposition of uh, Tokyo Tokiko and uh, Utena. Um, so, if if we're saying to- Tokiko is time slash sort of memory in this context, and Mikaki is seeing Utena as the her her being almost born again or recreated, like so. My sort of like little weird theory is like Ikuhara Iko is very much magical realism. He likes things to both yeah. be literally true and symbolically true. It's not not one or the other. It's both if he can. And in, and if they're kind of contradictory, that's even better. Yeah. So is that is there anything which flatly contradicts the idea that Utena is Tokiko's daughter? So, Ooh, well, I mean, the fact that Tokiko <laughs> okay. shows up. 
in person later, I think, contradicts the idea that Utna is Tokiko. So in episode 20, end of episode 22, we see her returning older and uh, with longer hair and t- t- talking to Otori. The Otori's. universal anime sign of time having yeah. passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking to uh, um, uh, Akio and uh, commenting she's seen the professor again and is going to go and sort of talk to him again. And then that she's, she's happy now because she's married and then... Uh, to someone normal and then in episode 23 when uh Mikage and Utina are having their conversation as she realizes he's been behind all the black rose duelists and we look at their reflections in the uh in the paintings on the wall and his reflection is his is the professor and her reflection is uh, Tokiko. Um, And we get a shot shot where it is her her turning to him in sort of realisation and then it cuts to him seeing her as Tokiko. And all I'm thinking is Utena's parents both died. She... I I know with any abstracted piece of of art, it's hard to say, okay, this person's outline fits that other person's outline pretty well. But I think, like, there's... uh, In terms of, like, who... What ten-year-old kid is or eight or what, however old she was when um, uh, she was uh, visited by um, Akiko uh, is going to get visited by him unless he has some prior um, connection to her parents. And so there's my there's my pins on boards, I, red yeah, string between yeah, I'm, them. I'm glad you did the whole Charlie Day thing, Duncan. I I. I have the instinct when I watch episodes 22 and 23 to like map out like who is what, where I don't, I don't, I think that. So for me, the idea of eternity is that like there is is almost the idea of eternal recurrence that, that um, people age and build up these memories and these memories are just like past slides of other lives. Um, And so the idea is not necessarily that Utena is, Tokiko, although you actually, I believe that I have read a, a fan theory that, that Utena is Tokiko's daughter. And I just got like, another think, one. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I believe that I have read that from the people who are determined to to have the the time bullshit of of Utena make, make linear sense. Mm. Um, but I think it's more just that like these types recur. Um, yeah, that sure. when he sees Utena, he sees someone who has, who has a potential to leave Otori like Tokiko did. And that's what's threatening to him because he obviously his decision was to stay in, to stay in Otori and to try to reform it from the inside. Um, and that there is this kind of almost garden of Eden thing going on with how, um, with how, yeah, like the, the way to, the way to win this game is to defy God and to leave Otori and to go out to the real world. So one's Lilith, one's one's uh, possibly Eve. Then I mean, I don't want, but yes, like the idea that like that like Tokiko is a prototype for what what uh, Mikage sees in Utena. And Mikage's thing is when he's fighting her, is he's the I like that we slid, slid right back into like theme and character <laughs> stuff. We're like we're gonna move to directors, director like visual and directorial decisions. Now we're gonna go back to to theme. They're intertwined, uh, but like. The idea that, that that Mikage wants to defeat Utena and wants to like wants to defeat Utena and kill Anthi, he wants to 
he wants to defeat the actor and destroy the catalyst, keep everyone in the system, like keep everything where it is, where he can fix it from the inside. People don't leave. Nothing changes. He just gets as much time as he needs until he gets it right. Uh, and and um, so it is this kind of it's both metaphorically this fight against uh, this fight of the past and memory and tradition um, against the threat of something new that could overthrow and possibly neutralize uh, memory and tradition. But I also think that it is just like, I don't know. I mean, there's so many levels that this operates on. And I feel every time I try to explain what literally happened, especially in episodes 20, 22 and 23, I feel myself like growing donkey ears uh, and becoming <laughs> a, a bottom. So I, I don't want to do it too much, but I do think that there is this idea of, um, of Mikake is not only wishing for the past like other characters, I said this before, but he literally exists in the past where he cannot, he does not see a substantive difference between Utena and Tokiko. They are all disruptive elements to his, to his plan because we have the whole thing in episode 22, especially where people are like, oh, he's a human computer. He has no passion. He has no motivation. He's just doing things. And so this is this kind of, I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's not an accident that his name is literally Mikage, uh, honored shadow or sort of like honorable shadow. Mm -hmm. Like he is like, he is a ghost who is acting out this, this programming that he gave himself decades, possibly centuries ago. We don't know how old Otori is. Um, and that he is, and that he's fighting his Udna's revolution because he legitimately sees it as a threat and probably rightfully sees it as a threat. Uh, because he wants to be the one, but he doesn't realize that he is, he is literally just a shadow of Utena, um, that all the stuff that he, that instead of seeing Utena as a reflection of himself and therefore as Anthe and Mami as reflections as they literally are, we find out at the end of the episode, that episode, um, he sees Utena as Tokiko, another like rogue element that's disrupting the system and tries to fight her. Um, because you get the idea that Mikage is, despite all of his like, literal emotional terrorism like he has a good impulse as opposed to akiho who like exudes shitty dude vibes <laughs> all the time uh when like uh, when utin is telling him about like something that happened and she's like oh i'm sorry i'm talking and he's like no please go on but can i also say you're wrong and it's like literally something he says when they're talking um that like mikage mikage is it, it, i think it's interesting to like kind of to construct love triangles because this fucking anime loves love triangles. It has like Anthe, Kanai, Akio. It has Utena, Anthe, Akio. It has Juri, Shiori, Ruka. Um, to also have one uh, between Utena, Mikage, Tokiko that like, yeah, like what characters are synth syntheses of each other versus what characters are recurrences or antitheses of each other. I mean, I'm I'm definitely like 100 percent the weeds. I'm, I'm doing like the acid vomit <laughs> thing. I promised I wouldn't do, but no, I, I think I think it's interesting how I enjoy the idea of the mistake that you made is in the past, and the the character's challenge is to realize that they made that mistake in the past, as opposed to trying to fix it. And I think that Mikage appeals to me a lot because um, Mikage is smart enough to realize he's trying to fix a mistake that he did not know he made, that he does, he does not realize he made. When we see his fantasy, we see that he, he's constructed uh, Mamiya as the person who, who burned down the building as opposed to him, but he's still proceeding as if that's the sort of thing that needs to be actualized into a, into a, 
a moving forward thing to continue the, the work of opening up eternity and reaching the castle, the upside down castle in the sky and everything. So I'm going to stop talking for at least 10 minutes now. So you all have to go <laughs> on your own. So I don't know if, if I should say this for the very last thing, but um, do we think any of the cast, apart from Akio and uh, Anthe, remember the events of this arc? No comment. Um, <laughs> I think they. I think they remember the impact of it. I think the, the 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 like the arena and the duels. I think kind of happen outside of time and space. And to enter them, you you know you literally have to have you know one of Akio's like rose garnet rings you know in whatever form they happen to take either in like the black form or because like that like that's sort of what the, the like the black rose circle their their task was was to try and enter the arena you know sort of fraudulently like you know he gives these people these rings like having died and it's like oh they, they give you access but they don't but like you're not supposed to be there and i think it's sort mm -hmm. of it's sort of natural that people don't remember being in there because it's it maybe didn't actually literally happen and it's only if you are a, you know if you're still caught up in this system that you still you know are aware of it because like all of their rings sort of vanish when they when they leave the when they leave the arena whereas you know the the student council and everybody else still has theirs and still they're still sort of embroiled in this weird cosmic you know dueling ballet that only they are fully aware of um, because like mm -hmm. you know as weird of, of a place as it is like otori academy is still a school like wakaba like you know it's not like you know it's not like the like the hogwarts school of wizardry where like you know you go through you know you, you ride a magical train to go to this like sort of like parallel world like wakaba lives off campus like she walks home through the normal part of town you know it's you know people still come and go as if it's a a real place like uh, but it's only these like select few who are sort of aware of this happening and like even the like even like the 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 buildings like like the 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 dueling arena has this sort of otherworldly like it's like you know it it's immense you know whenever you see it it's always like this like huge over like this enormous structure that should be overpowering the the geometry of the space like all the time but it only really seems to come into play when the duels happen similarly the uh the memorial building where the black circle uh, the black rose mm -hmm. circle resides like after the events it sort of reverts back to just being a burnt out building and everybody acts yeah, as though that. that was always the case and so well, it's, it's interesting that like so the causality, this is this is the part which will legitimately have me lose my mind, as if it wasn't five minutes ago. But like the idea that it's called Nemuro Memorial Hall, mm -hmm. um, and Nemuro was the name of Mikage when he worked there the first time, yeah. so it becomes the Memorial Hall. But then once Mikage is defeated, and he like stops being real and Akio says like maybe he was never there which is always a great thing for a character to say in a, in a <laughs> yeah. magically real anime uh, but like Mickey can't remember the name of it he like has all these like absurd names he's just trying to remember like what the name is and just literally it can't be a memorial hall for someone who never existed mm -hmm. um, but it is in a way and it's a ruin which is a further kind of metaphorical flourish there yeah because like the, you know because they said like oh this was the because like the it, it it was always the building that had burned down uh and killed all of the the students when it was the black rose mm -hmm. 
circle. Like they was like, oh, it was rebuilt, and now it's called the the Memorial Hall. But then after you know, after the, you know, after Mikage is dissipated and all of the Black Roses have been consumed, like that, like the role that they play in this in this scenario is sort of over, and they get you know they get snipped like you know a rose in uh, Morticia Adams garden and just sort of stopped <laughs> existing and you know that part of the magical you know, world just kind of disappears and so like i think everybody's like emotional turmoil during those times is real and somewhat excised but the literal events like are not remembered maybe because they didn't actually literally happen yeah there is a there is a, a definite sense of the dueling arena as just a place of, of metaphor and i think it's point out because it's the um so there's the weird like walled force thing and that's where she goes into to go up to the castle mm-hmm, and as you yeah. can see there's no path there um but they always show that and then they have the kageko thing which maybe we can <laughs> use that to try desperately to segue away from from uh what we've been talking about like the kageko skit and then she will go into the forest and then go up into the what is been hitherto the invisible realm of the of the dueling arena. Mm-hmm. Casco music question quickly. Did the um, theme for the, the ascent to the dueling arena change just slightly, or am I imagining uh, that? I don't know. I know that the uh, the the student council speech that Nanami gives is is much different. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. At the very least, my my. Utena Complete OST does not have a separate uh, Zekai Ume Mokishiroku. At the the start of it, um, after she puts her signet to the the doorway and steps in, it could be completely and utterly face-planting this, but... (laughs) It wouldn't wouldn't surprise me, but I don't don't think so, so... I I just feel like there's a menace to it that there wasn't necessarily in the first season, but... Well, it's funny because... Because... The in the first arc, the the kind of like dual music and ascent is very formulaic, and in the second arc, it's kind of inconsistently applied, and sometimes so it would make sense if he was to like kind of make it a bit feel a bit more twisted or dark, but I do think that it I I do think that it is just kind of maybe getting us used to forms and then depriving us of those forms is a very Ikuhara thing. Um, teaching us to to treasure the student council elevator ride or Utena's ascent to the dueling ring as these formulaic things were just like, great, this is 15 seconds I can turn my brain off during. Um, and then not giving you that when you know to expect it. Um, and even just changing the format of the Kageko skits, which are generally inferior, I say, to the first to the first arcs. Um, I like the one where the dad decides to go to school or the robot one. Um, but otherwise, otherwise they've been kind of <laughs> obscure. Yeah, the dad one's like the most on the nose one because it's like he's <laughs> literally like, I want to go back to my uh, how I remember. I used to be a prefect, in, uh, uh, a class monitor when I was uh, in <laughs> school. I had all this responsibility and I was respected. And, and it's like now you're a salary man and you wash people's socks and you're told to tidy up after yourself. And the kids, Dad, I'm off to school. And the dad's like, No, I'm going to school. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I guess you're being fairly blatant about people wanting to go back to their their. Past 
past where things were rosier, but there you go. It's, yeah. it's also the one time someone uh, interacts with the, uh, the, the them, which is, uh, once again, Wakaba being just like, hi there, and waving off to the, yeah. the shadow girls <laughs> in the background. No, I think it does say something that Wakaba can see them, but I don't know what that is. It is funny mm. that this is that uh, in the in the the next round of like highly metaphorical skits uh, in the the parasite sense of the word metaphorical uh, that it always ends now with like Utena telling them off, being like that was just air freshener for the bug skit or something um, that there is a bit of callback. And I, th- I believe in this in the third core they return um, to the more traditional uh, just not in the background of Udna being in her locker sort of thing. <laughs> um, I enjoyed the train one because it had like the Yeah, I don't know. I, I always like the, the weird like <laughs> diegetic stuff. Like I think we talked in the last episode, last podcast episode about like the, the potted plant being yeah, oh, it was it, it was so That's weird. So yeah. Weird when the, the, they had that one scene where there's like literally a railway c- crossing inside the student council room, and <laughs> and like they're, they're all having a conversation, yeah. like nothing's going on, and they're playing it with that, and it's like getting louder and going past, it. and then then it, it, it passes, and and they turn to Mickey and say, "Oh, so what do you did you think about that?" And he goes, "I oh, sorry, I couldn't hear you." And I just <laughs> laughed out loud at that point because it was like see every, everyone else is acting like it's not there and mickey's like yeah. no, no this train is going past see that's that's what i mean about about ikahara liking to set up like set up things and get you used to them and then kind of like be like haha you're used to this now like having we're used to the care like when nanami first takes over the student council because she's the acting student council president while toga is in his room listening to his photograph like the saddest dude in the world um <laughs> at least until one of his sister's friends comes and like aggressively seduces him and then pulls a sword out of his chest uh but when she first takes over as the student council president there's a ceiling there's a, a rotary fan and it just like turns as she's talking and then there's the pinwheels and like he gets used to like yeah. like these are backgrounds the characters don't know about them and then i think i love that the joke is that like oh no actually that that uh that train crossing was loud enough that Mickey couldn't hear what they were saying. <laughs> um, it, it's that kind of it's 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 fooling you. It's 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 clowning on you for having gotten used to symbol the symbols as symbols and not as real things in the world, uh, which I appreciate. Even though if I don't always know what they're doing, and I think we discussed like in the case of the stopwatch, they probably aren't doing anything except looking cool. I did like in the um, there was a student count episode where yeah. like Nanami's like. Or is, is, is it jury or anonymy? I, I think it's anonymy. Yeah, but uh, one of the characters is like, "It's like, why do you always do this? What does it mean?" And and then and then like they just change the subject instead of answering. Yeah, <laughs> it's a self conscious thing. Yeah, I, I did get to the point where I was like, maybe it's cuts, and then was like counting oh, God, cuts Jeff. between like the stopwatch. And it's like, no, it's not that. <laughs> if there's any, if, there, if there's any meaning to derive, then then yeah, you've been played for a fool. You're you're Bobo the fool. Yeah. Uh, I did enjoy. Um, so this is like my big discovery for this rewatch um, is that a lot of the visual language around Mikage's language of separation. So we first introduced to him. We we have we start up the the season the, the core with a shot of Nemer Memorial Hall. Pan down through like meters and meters of dirt. Uh, we go down to like him and he's at the tank with uh, Mamiya and. Um, we definitely get this kind of sense that he's removed from other characters. When he meets with Mickey, he's got a pillar between them. When he meets with Utna later, there's also a pillar between them. Um, when he's talking with the professors who want to like 
pay him off for having written a paper for their grant, which is whack. Uh, he's he's got a big desk between them. There's always a, a tendency to to interpose furniture and masonry between Mikage and other characters. And even when it comes to Mamiya, almost always there's a few exceptions, which I don't know if are intentional or just Ikuhara forgot the cool thing he was doing. But he's always around. He's always talking to Mamiya around a corner or across the room. There's always these very distinct separations there. And I found it really interesting of it. It it kind of almost makes him feel more like a ghost than the literal events of the plot. And that like no one is ever standing next to him except when he's in the interview booth with them being like the path that you must take has been prepared for mm. you. Your only choice is to revolutionize the world. And so there's this idea of, of being of, of him is just like, it kind of underlies the fact that he's a character who just comes out of nowhere 14 episodes into the into the anime and it's just like I'm the bad guy now in classic shonen fashion and that he like <laughs> he's never face to face with our main characters um, and it's very interesting in that respect and the first time that Utna's face to face with him is when she's beating the shit out of him at the at the end of the arc um, and where he's like uh, if she hadn't seen my duelist ring I thought she would have killed me and so there is this idea of the 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 remove being very important there mm-hmm do you think it's possible that he literally wasn't there until the 14th episode and then disappeared just as much? <laughs> it's hard. That's technically untrue. That I hate to hate to break this up, but it, he actually meets her on the stairs while she's running after Choo Choo, who's turned into a balloon for some reason. That's correct. And there and there is a pillar and there is a so pillar. He, d- he does them. appear before then, but yeah, you are. Yes, but he but he is like. Th- it's not necessarily like a literal truth, but there is this idea that they that Ikuhara is always putting things between Mikage and other people, and I don't know visually, not not necessarily literally, but like visually, like the the interview with him and Miki when he's trying to convince Miki to join the seminar is very striking because they're both in lawn chairs or like recliner chairs, and there's a big fat pillar between them, <laughs> so that it's just like literally two separate screens of these two characters, and it's. It's very interesting, and I—I I mean, as I've said before, I find Mikage endlessly interesting. I think that his his motivations are really obscure in a way that I find like toothsome. But <laughs> I do think it's interesting that the visual language is also about like this character does not belong. He he's from another another thing, um, and when when he disappears, it's like he was never there. People don't remember him. No one cares. Everyone's been re- restored to whatever they were before the Black Rose Saga happened. Mm. Any other visual or music elements? I like that School Scarlet uh, during the uh, the Onion Prince uh, Kasumi episode. There was a nice like pan flute version of of School Scarlet, the best theme. Although I do like the Nemo Memorial Hall theme with its rad harpsichord riffs. So. I think think I mentioned before for the show. I, I I enjoyed in the Nanami episode where she's turned into a, a cow. That the climatic we're, sort we're of pretending, dual... we're pretending that episode doesn't exist, Duncan. <laughs> don't, bring, but, don't bring it up. <laughs> no, go ahead. When yeah. when that happens and the the the, the 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 music which plays over her her final confront her her sort of weird almost duel with Utina is is that it, it's this, like, f- almost Germanic f- ic sort of... The village is sending off its cow to be slaughtered. Oh, what a sad <laughs> thing for this family. He, uh, as, as she's, 
he sort of turns into a cow and charges is that uh, Utena waving a red um, jumper at her and it's just like this this weird (laughs) incongruity of this like quite macabre uh, uh, song and this really um, silly and throwaway episode and yeah like that, that the fact that that song plays over a, a dream she has of her brother putting her in a cage and feeding her uh, <laughs> f- food before like shipping her off to market is kind of dark but <laughs> as we said this is a dark series and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called the black rose saga so yeah pretty pretty dark yep can i thank you duncan yeah you posted in the chat you posted the uh uh, it's like I always need to come back to me when he finally con- confronts with Utena in in the picture hall with all of her friends as pictures, and I forgot how slowly he turns his head. It's really uncanny how uh, Mikage slowly turns his head yeah. uh, to Utena, and then when he finally looks at her, it's Tokiko instead. Ugh, such good direction. Very wow. There's a confidence to this which wouldn't wasn't necessarily there in the. Uh, first season that of just even within the arc of the show of Ikuhara growing as a director and mm-hmm. like ex- having made this decision I've like you've been given enough information now I don't I don't need to spell things out for you anymore I'm going to start being a bit looser and yet also being very tight in the moments where he has to and so it's it's like interesting how you've got very metaphorical things going on but also these very moment-to-moment real things like uh, the, the moment when Makaki turns his head like slowly as as you say yeah it's it's really uncanny and it reminds me of the fact that like I probably need to do another rewatch for this which I should have done before this podcast but there is like something weird is happening with shadows there Utena only is the only character who has a shadow on that wall when uh when um the secretary leaves after uh, Mikage fires her. She doesn't have a shadow. Mikage doesn't have a shadow on this wall. It's only Utena who has the shadow, which I don't know. Yeah. Like, but like trying to parse who is real and who is not real in this arc is not useful. I don't think it actually gives you an insight into the characters. I think it's a it's an interesting piece of of gristle to chew on, but I don't think it tells you the emotional reality of these characters' decisions and actions. And now I'm looking, and, and and now because of that, then I'm looking at it and going, wait a second, that's probably not her shadow. That's a different person's shadow, and I don't want to think of the implications. We're at the end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's do something a bit lighter for our last thing. Was there any funny parts you liked? Did you like? Did you like Choo Choo sleeping in his sleeping bag, and he like farted, and it blew in his face, and then he tried to stop it, and it blew in his <laughs> mouth, and he died. I did like the whole. Did like I liked, like the whole Nanami episode, the one that you guys are determined not to talk about. Which I mean, there's not a lot to talk about. It's just a very, very on the nose metaphor about Nanami's like extremely shallow uh, self conceit and her. Like the ease to which everybody else can manipulate her, despite the power that she wields over, you know, everybody else, like below her, and I, I, I am probably an outlier in that I am a. I appreciate like when the show just kind of gets weird and silly for no apparent reason. I like it like, being because, weird, especially <laughs> since it follows like one like a very dark episode, 
and it was it was the same thing that drew me in in the first arc when they did like the dumb like body swap curry stuff and Nanami is sent on a, a quest to find all the uh, the spices yeah. again like it's just I, know, I, I I liked her like weird shitty girl energy and <laughs> I just we- I appreciate weird, ki- weird kitten killing energy yeah and just like the way it sort of like undermines the seriousness of the rest of the the show yeah which i don't know maybe maybe that is like a fly in other people's ointment but i i appreciate that fly i have more appreciation for for, uh for nanami this time around but she definitely like she's a butt of the show's jokes in a way that i feel like no one besides choo-choo is a butt (laughs) is a a butt (laughs) of the show's jokes and i don't know how to feel about the fact that the the two like clowns of the anime are a tiny monkey and a fourteen year old girl, but that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say I like a lot of the comedy bits are like leftovers from pre- the the first season, like just like the, the those three weird um, glasses guys from the curry episode. I can't remember mm-hmm. what they were, just popping up occasionally just to do a skit and react to someone. And like them in the in the flashback and the flashback episode as well was a more far more comedy this time, obviously being told from, yeah, it was essentially an anime episode again. As you say, it's 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 an episode about her and therefore it's comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that she's almost trampled by a horse like four or five times a week. It seems like. <laughs> okay, that that actually did work for me. I do I do like the like the mysterious horse attacks that are happening at Otori Academy, and everyone just kind of like takes them in stride too. Yeah. Mm. Okay, closing thoughts. Are you excited to watch the apocalypse arc? Absolutely. Now that you're also saying that it doesn't make any sense and it, is weird. It doesn't, no, I'm not saying I'm that. I'm like I'm saying I'm saying that the difficulty <laughs> that I have wrapping my head around the final episodes of the Black Rose Saga is writ large in the Apocalypse Saga, where it's much more. It's it's actually much less about what is literally happening and much more about uh, these different character dynamics. Um, I find the Black Rose Saga easy to understand because it's it's. An, a saga about the poisonous effects of nostalgia and the way that normal things can be like warped or perverted or usurped um, in the absence of good intentions or or good action. And I think that that uh, the Apocalypse Saga has a lot more going on, even than this previous core. And at least when I first watched it, I remember being like, I don't. I don't understand half of what happened in that final mm. episode. So, uh, I, but who can I guess say? This is a bookmake, a, a bookkeeping uh, question for Ben. So, I've heard the final arc either treated as one arc or as a, a larger arc than a smaller arc which follows it. Mm, no, it's all one. Okay. I know that I know that Wikipedia okay. divides into the Akio saga and the Apocalypse saga. I think that is artistically invalid and I reject it. So <laughs> so there. I'm acting student council president now. <laughs> so does that make you nanami? Yes. Precisely. <laughs> but yeah, like the like yeah, like the first arc I read as like a thesis and the Black Rose Circle is definitely like the antithesis of all of the the works that uh, that are sort or all the ideas that are sort of put up again in the in the first arc. So I definitely assume that third arc is going to be some kind of fusion of the two. And yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited. Like I haven't I haven't revisited it since like 
2012, 2011 or 2012. So yeah, it's been a long time. So yeah, just think about how different the world is from 2012. <laughs> is it that different, uh, Jeff? How different are, we all are. are. Is our perception of it just different? <laughs> well, hopefully, when we get to the the culmination of it, the last six years will just never oh, happen. God, it'll that'd be, be so good. <laughs> we'll have a different world. <laughs> I'll just I'll just wake up and I'll be like, "Wow, I don't have resentment against my sister anymore. How nice! <laughs> it just happened magically." <laughs> or I'll come home to an empty house and be like, "I'm back." Uh, well, yeah. With that, let's remember rate review subscribe to us on itunes find us on twitter keyframes pod search for us on facebook keyframes podcast email us questions we probably will have guests for the apocalypse arc but we want your questions too we want what you think about revolution or galusna um do you think it's underrated we are i mean duncan's trying his best to be like this isn't so good but uh we want more people like more more voices on both sides of the issue uh so email says keyframes podcast at gmail.com and tell a friend. <laughs> I don't. I don't have. Yeah, tell a friend that we're also on yeah, Spotify. We're on Spotify now too. All right. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.